Welcome everyone. Our Parsha in my life, Tazriya Metzera, five seven seven eight. I'm I'm uh, re-recording. This is not the usual time for this year. Um, uh, last night I gave this year. You might have seen it on Facebook or on YouTube. And I forgot to push one button, <laughs> which would connect this wireless mic to the uh, to the audio. So that one button was off, and I was talking and getting exciting, excited and really got passionate, but there was no connection. So I am redoing it now, and hopefully I can capture some of that excitement we had last night. It was really, really, really a fascinating share. Um, and so, with Hashem's help, we'll be able to get to that today as well. Usually, Parsha in my life class, I give standing. Excuse my sitting position. I had hurt my back the other day, so I'm a little, uh, a little sore. With the Abishter's help, it's the month of ER. The month of ER is a month of healing. Uh, I pray for some healing, not for myself, but also healing for all the Jewish people, all those that need healing, and those that need refuah shalema. I do have a dedication over here, one dedication for the shear. We mentioned it last night. We'll do it again. Um, hold on just one second till I pull it up. It's Rabbi and Mrs. Yaakov and Teferes Kahanaman. Oh, here we are. And it's a very, in honor of a very big Mazel Tov. Uh, they uh, merited to have a beautiful new baby girl. And her name, her very special name, is Menucha Rachel Bas Teferes Emes. And she was born on Teferes. Her mother's name is Teferes. She was born on Teferes Shabikvura. On Chafei Nisan. May Hashem bench the Kahanamans. And this is uh, for those who might know her better as we knew her here in L.A. before she got married as, as Teferis uh, Perlis. 
may the Abish to bench them both, or bo- may Hashem bench both of you to be able to raise your very special new baby, and had a lot, a lot of nachas from her, and may she open up a lot of channels of bracha, of health, and parnasa brachava, and the ability for you to be able to do your shlichus in Temecula and wherever else you reach in inspiring and reaching Jews, preparing the world for the great, for Moshiach. May it be the three of you with your new baby, and a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of bracha, mazel, and only good things. Thank you. Okay, ready to begin? So we just entered into Chaydesh Iyar. And uh, we need to understand a little bit the significance of Iyar, especially that Iyar comes after such a smashing month as the month of Nisan. And in the month of Nisan, we were all on a real, real, real high. Uh, Iyar, uh, Nisan is the month of miracles, but it's also the month that we were so excited about the Giyula, about the redemption. And in some ways, we can say that the moment month of Iyar came in, it's a little bit of a downer. Um, we're frustrated. I'm frustrated. Moshiach didn't come. And I was so sure and so hoping and so anticipating the Giyula should come in the year 5778 in Chaydesh Nisan. Now, even though we don't put any limitations on Moshiach, Moshiach can come completely unexpected any moment, any time of the year. But there are more of opportune times. And Nisan is a really, really special time for the Giyula. It didn't happen, at least to our eyes. And this might be frustrating many as it frustrated me. So I need some comfort. So here is an interesting idea about the month that we're in right now, the month of Iyar. And in a sense, that it will kind of redeem that negative thought that we missed the Giyula, because we didn't miss the Giyula. Because the, the Chiddush of the Chiddush Iyar, that we're, that we're, and that this is the concept of tonight's class, is that we have Giyula. Now the only job is to be able to translate the Giyula into vessels that we can perceive and see. The Giyula is here, as indicated from so many things, that the world keeps on becoming more and more and more and more, and more Moshiachtig. But it all needs to take on a powerful, visible presence to the point that Moshiach himself is revealed. But for that he has to come down in a... In other words, there, it has to be revealed in, in, in a body, in physicality, in the physical world in the most tangible way. So in that sense, the Giula in Nisan happened, but it's still ethereal, it's still up there, it's hovering. Iyar is the month of making Kalim, as we're soon going to see, capturing that light, translating it down here. So it's not like we've missed something, it's, it's still the energy is here, it's just calling and beckoning for some vessels and containers to be able to draw it down. That's the theme of this week's parsha. it's the theme, the theme of everything we're going to be talking about. Is really, really amazing. I do want to say, you know, coming off Nisan, we spoke about the last week's shear. We spoke about the Shmini is the eight, five, seven, the power of number eight, and that it was eight times eight that we read Parsha Shmini, and that it's an eight that is hovering above the seven because it's the it's we're in the the seven seventy decade, and above that it's number eight. With seven represents rectification of the world. Eight represents godly revelation of above. So, I don't know if it's been noticed by people, an amazing thing happened. On the very last day of Nisan, there was a, a military action that was taken against a wickedness in this world, a force of poison. See, wickedness is poison. A, a force that poisons his own people, a real, real wicked monster. 
And the interesting thing that people maybe did not notice was, and it's and it took place also in the neighbor, right neighboring Eretz Yisrael, which means all those chemical weapons are a threat to the Jewish people as much as they are a threat to the Syrians. So the elimination of those weapons is a tremendous godly act, and it was didn't even have to be done by the Jewish people. The other nations did it on our behalf. So that's stunning. That's amazing. But in addition to that, we know that all the predictions that there are regarding wars and so on and so forth that happen before Mashiach comes, from the words of the Navi, it seems like it's in the backyard of Eretz Yisrael, which is in Syria. Now, I am not at all a proponent and someone that uh, supports uh, all this Armageddon talk, because I'm a believer in what it says in the teachings of Hasidish Rabbeim across the board of Hasidism, that all of this was already nullified. And we don't have to go through the horrors that are described about an Armageddon, a Goyge Magig War, Hasrashalm, and all the, all the death and, 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 and um, chaos. So that's unnecessary and it won't happen. Yet, there could be some manifestation of it. And as, I, as the Lubavitcher Rebbe says in a talk that he gave sometime during Spheris, during, I think, in, in, uh, in um, uh, Memvav in 86, sometime during Spheris Lagbaimer time, or Memhe or Memvav, I'm not sure, 85 or 86, in which he describes that the entire Armageddon war is nothing to do with the Jewish people. It's outside of Yerushalayim, and it lasts for seven years, which, by the way, interesting. Um, the truth is like this someone sent this to me and I looked it up and I couldn't find where the Rebbe says it lasts for seven years so I'm going to take that back but it's uh, you know, the, what has been happening in, in Syria all this time the civil war but Baruch Hashem it hasn't harmed the Jewish people but the interesting thing is and this is a thing that I had mentioned year, um, uh, last year when um, the first strike against Syria when, um, which happened interestingly on the 11th day of Nisan on the Lubavitcher Rebbe's birthday on that day was when Trump sent his first, first military action that he, I think he took, eight, uh, 59 missiles. And now, again, Erev Rosh again against Syria, 105 missiles. But the interesting thing is why Syria, so I mentioned an interesting idea, it landed on Damascus. Now, the, Damascus is the same, in Hebrew, is Damasek. And Damasek is the same word as Migdash. So Migdash and Damasek are, are and it says in Sfarim, that Migdash and Damasek are antithesis to each other. So Migdash is holiness, the holy temple. Damasek is, Damascus is the force of evil. Now in Migdash we know that the name of Hashem associated with the base of Migdash is the name of Aleph Talad Nun Yud. We say it in Oz Yashir. Migdash Hashem, Migdash Adna, Aleph Talad Nun Yud, right? Which is Gematria 65. So if the holy Beis HaMikdash, the force, the klipa, the unholy that stands antithesis to the Beis HaMikdash, that needs to fall before the third Beis HaMikdash could be built, if that is Damasek, so it's interesting, again, this was my own thought, whether it's true or not, it's just a thought that occurred to me, and it makes sense, that the leader of, and that evil monster, it's a threat to the Jewish people, and a threat, as we said before, a force of, toxic force of, of poison, even to his own people, his name is Assad, which is Gematria 65. So if you have Mikdash Adna, Opposite of that stands Damasek Assad. So a destruction and a break in Damascus and a weakening of Damascus is a intensification of Yerushalayim and the base mission. And it's interesting, right now, next week or so, is when the embassy is going to be moved to Yerushalayim, which is a certain, you might say, what's the significant spiritual significance? It has huge spiritual significance because it has a recognition from the body of the 70 nations 
even though most of the 70 nations are plotting, they're not happy, but the leader of the 70 nations, which is the United States, supports this move. It's a concession that represents a deep concession of the forces of exile to pave the way and give the green light for the reestablishment of the Holy Beis Amigdash. And it has to come in a manner of Pesha Aser Hu Pesha Hitter. The mouth that destroyed it is the very same mouth. Rome itself that destroyed it, as we spoke other time, is, is the ones that have to rebuild the Beis Amigdash, like the Rabbeinu Bahaya says in about the Chazer, which is compared to Rome, and the Rome's uh, descendants, which are the entire Western world, they're the ones that have to support it. So this is really unbelievable. It's all coming together. But what, what, what is a Chiddush this week, which I noticed, which I think has not been said before, is that the amount of targets that were hit in this strike was a precision strike. The amount of targets that were hit were eight targets in three facilities. Now, now think about that. It's Parsha Shmini, which number eight is the ultimate. We're talking all about the power of the year is 888. It's the power of Mashiach. It's the power, and it's, right? Mashiach ends actually with a ches, which it says in Svarim is the power of number eight. Mashiach is going to come, there's going to be music of eight notes. Everything associated with eight. And the strike comes on eight Millet on eight targets in three facilities. What's the three facilities? Again, my own thought, but possible, it's true. We read Parsha Shmini eight times over a course of three weeks. We did Parsha Shmini three weeks in a row. So three weeks, Parsha Shmini, eight targets. I mean, and when did it happen? As soon as it was Erev Shabbos, as we were entering into Shabbos, Parsha Shmini. And this is so unbelievable. So why am I saying this? So what is this all telling us? Geula is continuing to happen in front of our eyes. So Chaydesh Nisan did bring us redemption. Now the question is, how do we advance that to the next stage? Obviously there is a frustration. I'm not satisfied with some strikes in Syria to tell me that Mashiach is here. I'm not, and I hope you're not either. What I am saying is, there is movement. We're moving in that direction. Things are happening. Even even the, the peace now neutralizing the North Korean threat that's messianic. That, and that's happening in a peaceful way. I mean, so far what we're seeing. This, these are all, what I'm saying is we're seeing Mashiach is moving the world. But all of this needs to take on a tangible reality. How does a tangible reality happen? Let's take a look. That's the Chiddush of the month of Iyar. And that's the Chiddush of this week's parasha, Tazriyam Mitzayra. But in order for us to understand this, if I can ask you for a moment, if you can please bring me the Siddur right over here. I'd like to first begin with a Mishnah in Pirkei Avis. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avis is, thank you, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avis is where it says as follows. Second parak. This, this, this week we're going to read Pirkei Avis. So in the second parak of Pirkei Avis it says as follows. The first Mishnah. The Rabbi Oimer, Rabbi says, Eizahu derech yeshara adam. What is considered a correct path? that a person should choose for himself. Kol shehi teferes one that is beautiful to, one that, to the one that's doing it, with teferes adam, it should be beautiful also for people. So first of all, we're beginning this parak of, 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 um, of Pirkei Yavis with Rebbe Oimer. So first of all, the, the word Rebbe Oimer already is an indication of Moshiach. Why is Rebbe an indication of Moshiach? And associate with this week's parasha, because Rebbe is Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi. He's a grandson of David Melech. And he, as the Talmud tells us in Masech the Sanhedrin, could have been Moshiach. He had, so in a sense he was, as it says in Sfarim, the Moshiach of his generation. The Gemara says in Dav Tzadik Ches, in Masech the Sanhedrin, it gives various different names for Moshiach. 
And it says, who, who Moshiach can possibly be? So the Gemara says that um, the very Reb Shila, Oymer Shiloh Shemai, that the, the Academy of Shila, Shiloh, of Reb Shila, said it, his name is Shiloh. Uh, and, and in the Academy of Yanai, of Rabbi Yanai, said that his name is Yinoin Shemai, from Yanai. And as it says in Stechemet, that in every generation they had an assumption who Moshiach was in that generation. And the, the students of that teacher thought it was their teacher. Reb Chanina says his name is Chanina, and he brings a pasuk that it's Chanina. Some say Menachem, Menachem ben Cheskir Shemoy. Okay, Rabbanan Amri, the Rabbanan say Chivre de Be Rebbe Shemoy, that he's he's the white man of like the the of the household of Rebbe. What does it mean white? He's the one who has he's the I don't want to use the word leper. Leper is very disrespectful because Tsaras is not a leper, but we. Loosely translated, it means someone with a skin disease, which is like a leper. So, uh, the leper of the house of 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 of, of Rebbe, the Mitzora. This week is all about Tumas Saras, the impurity of Saras, and where is it coming? It's the, it's um, um, from the house of Rebbe, and the Farshim explain. It's referring to Rabbeinu Hakadosh himself. Why? Because Rabbeinu Hakadosh, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, was a perfect tzaddik, someone who didn't sin whatsoever, and yet. Um, he suffered tremendous suffering. And one of the things about Mashiach is that he's inflicted with pain. Shanemar, as it says, Our illnesses he carries, and our aches he, he endures. And we've thought upon him as someone, we blamed him as someone who is Nagua, who has a nega, who has affliction, beaten by God, but really he's a perfect tzaddik, and he's suffering our sins for us. So, but, but that's why it's Rebbe, because Rebbe has no reason to suffer other than he's suffering for the people. And he's a descendant of David the Melech, and he has all the other aspects of Moshiach that's supposed to inspire a nation. He wrote the mission, he saved the, the spreading of the Torah. I mean, Rebbe was... And we, so that's why, Rebbe. So Moshiach is connected very strongly to Rebbe, to Rebbeinu HaKadosh. And that's why the Gemara actually says later, if Moshiach is from the living, then he's like Rebbeinu HaKadosh. He, could, he would be Rebbe, I guess when the Gemara said that Rabbeinu HaKadosh was alive, Rabbi was alive, and he's saying that it would be Rabbi because if he's from the living, this is the person that we're going to look towards to. So when we come to our Mishnah and we say Rabbi Oimeh, Rabbi says, uh, as we're going to see, soon see how, the, how connected this is to Mashiach, Rabbi says, what does he say? What's the correct path a person should choose? Something that is nice to those who do it, and Tferes Lehm and Adam. Simply it means when a person is being uh, observant and, and you can kind of tweak your observance this way and that way what you emphasize more what you emphasize less I mean obviously we have but within that this kind of you see there's no two Jews are in, who practice the same so Rabbi is saying what's the right way something that will be beautiful to Hashem sorry it will be beautiful to the person which means it will enhance the, the highest level of their connection to God their connection to Hashem but at the same time, it shouldn't be annoying to others. Sometimes people are super from, super religious and super whatever and try to be the best Jew they can. But in the process of doing that, they cause a very, very, very big chil Hashem. People look at them like they're insane or they're, meaning not just insane, but they, they do things in a way that's not, that's not pleasant to be around. So Rebbe is saying, what you're doing, make sure it should, don't compromise on your Yiddishkeit. But find a way that what you are doing in your Yiddishkeit should be done in a way that creates a sense of pleasantness, that people want to be around it and admire it and see the beauty of it. It's the simple meaning of here. The diuk that I want to ask today, 
um, is, by the way, whatever I'm sharing with you today is a talk that the Lubavitcher Rebbe gave in the year 5751. The last talk on Parshas Tazriya Metzorah, a mind-blowing talk. And this came after also the, I spoke earlier about the frustration that Mashiach didn't come, such an opportune year like this year. That year too, the Rebbe voiced tremendous frustration um, in the end of the month of Nisan, the 28th day of Nisan, that in the year 5751, Mashiach didn't come. And he actually says that in the end of that Nisan is when we concluded all the kitzim, all the dates that were supposed to set for Mashiach to come. The last possible date was at the end of Nisan that year, the words of the Rebbe. And Mashiach didn't come. So the Rebbe had tremendous frustration then. It was one of the most shocking, frightening talks. And then the Rebbe said at that time, like, what more can I do? I've done everything I can. And everything that I can was in vain, didn't accomplish anything. And therefore, the Rebbe says, I'm empowering, I'm giving it over to you, and I'm asking you to do whatever you can. Let's see this through. Let's make this happen. So two Shabbosim after that, the next Shabbos was Parsha Shmini, Shabbos after that, Parsha Tazriya Metzorah, came this mind-blowing, because after this talk, the Hasidim were totally, totally lost. No one, I mean, it was very frightening to see. It almost looked like a, some people could have looked at it as Rebbe's giving up, Chas Shalom. Everybody that watched what happened afterwards, so the Rebbe is not giving up. He just is telling us something from above that he's clearly communicating from, from the higher realms that it's not his job to make it happen. It's our job, to, not him as a, as, a, as a nasi of a generation, of a leader generation. It has to be the work of the generation. But he left kind of everybody hanging of what exactly should we do? If you couldn't do it, what can we do? And he was saying, I wish if only two or three people would come up with just be stubborn and, 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 and sit down and make it happen. But the people thought, if you couldn't figure it out, how can we figure it out? So then later the Rebbe, in this week's parasha, gives advice of what is the surest and most direct way to bring Moshiach. So in that talk, he quotes this parak. That year actually was, a very, was exactly similar to this year in that there, there too also parasha Shmini was read eight times. Exactly same setting like this year in terms of the holidays, the way it was set up. So in that and, and then Parshas Tazriya Metzairah was also the second week of Pirkei Yavas, in the beginning of Chaydesh year, exactly like now. So it's very opportune, whatever was discussed then, to share today in this class. So over there he asks the question, why are we referring to Rebbe by the name of Rebbe Dafka? Rebbe is Rebbe Yehuda Nasi, Rebbe Noah Kaddish. Why over here do we emphasize Rebbe says? Another question, what does he mean, Ezuhu Derech Yeshara? What's the correct path? As I mentioned earlier, we have a Shulchan Aruch. What's the correct path? The correct path is, Pasuk says clearly, Yesharim Darke Hashem. The ways of God are correct. So if you want to go on a straight path, do the ways of Hashem. Ezu Derech Yesharim. Also, the question was, Adam. This the Lushan of Adam. Why is he using the word Adam? I mean, Akasha, it's not. Because I'm looking over here in Pekayavis, just a little earlier, it says, Vedanes Kala Adam Lekafschos. You do have many times. Uh, the word Adam mentioned. Adam means man. So we're obviously talking about people. The question is, we know that human beings are, have other names called Ish, Anashim, right? Ish. What's the emphasis of Adam? But we're going to see there's something very deep over here. Okay. These are the questions on the Pirkei Yavis, which I want everybody to bear in mind because the answer and how he learns this Mishnah is really, really astounding. So before we go into actually the Parsha, I do want to ask another question. And that is a question that's more of like a, a painful question. And the question is, what's going on with our generation? 
What's going on with the youth of our generation? Why is it that we find that the youth of our generation is so difficult to get them inspired and turned on to Yiddishkeit? So many young people that are going through the systems of yeshivas and schools, whether it's Beis Yaakov's and, and, and the yeshiva systems and so on and so forth, they're just not connecting to the message. And obviously the easiest corporate, the easiest way to like deal with all these questions of what's going on with the generation is to blame it all on technology. Weird, the Jewish people have not been equipped to deal with this onslaught of technology. We've always been a sheltered people. We've lived kind of secluded. Now basically the whole world opened up. People are tempted by all the temptations. They have it on the palm of their fingers. The whole world is up in front of them. And we can't compete to the excitement, to the fast pace, to the... To the, to the thrill that there is in, in even though it's empty and hollow and we have depth and meaning but we can't kind of and uh, we have to figure out that's the easy way everything to blame it on the internet and, and make it on technology okay that's 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 uh, whoever wants to argue that can argue that I'm looking for something much deeper is there an explanation and is there do we have to look at this generation and condemn them you have a lot of times you hear teachers machanchim educators are raising their hands up and they're frustrated not knowing what even to do it seems like from year to year it's harder to reach the kids it's harder to inspire them that they should care about Yiddishkeit they should care about and is it so the question today is is this a, is this a negative sign or perhaps it's something extremely positive what I would like to share is now this doesn't say in that talk this is my own um, thought that I am deriving from that thought so I want to make that clear the Rebbe does not say this clearly in the Sicha in this talk, but I am deriving it from what he does say, and I think it's correct, and those who want to, of course, argue with me, I'm not, uh, you know, Torah But again, this is my thought, and I, I think it's correct. So you can be the judge. In any case, so that's, I'd like to put out that question. And this I'd like to address in this, in this very, very special class, in that, what, what can possibly be the answer of the disconnect? And once we know what can be possibly the cause, how can we rectify that? So now, let's move on to Parsha's Tazriya Metzayra. The Parsha this week is a double portion. Tazriya and Metzayra. Now both these Parshas are opportune, are fitting perfectly into the time that we're in right now. And as anybody listening to my classes from the past <laughs> while knows that I'm gang and Mashiach, Parsha's Tazriya Metzayra, just like Parsha Shmini, is purely Mashiach. Shmini was Mashiach, Tazriya Metzayra is Mashiach. First of all, Tazriya means giving birth. Mashiach is birth. The ultimate, the, the coming of Mashiach, the revelation of Mashiach is the ultimate birth. Golos is compared to a pregnancy, and Mashiach is compared to the birth. The Arachaim says that at the beginning of this week's parsha. The Arachaim says, Isha ki Tazria, the woman that will give birth. Who is the woman? The woman, he says, is Hashem's wife, referring to Knesset Yisrael. Like we once gave a class this year, if you remember earlier, Parsha Shemois, we spoke that the reason why we, the Jewish people, go through the pains of suffering is because we are pregnant with Mashiach inside of us. We had a whole interesting discussion. It's a very interesting class to listen to. It's a mimer from the Alter Rebbe, from the Balatanya. So we become pregnant with Mashiach. Isha, Kisazria, a woman who's giving birth. We're going through the labor. The whole Gullus is a time of, of labor. And when we give birth, the birth is, the, is, is Mashiach being revealed in the world. So that is, that is Pashas Tazriya. And then when we come to Pashas Metzaira, what is Metzaira? Metzaira is the, the leper that we spoke about earlier. And we know, what does that have to do with Mashiach? Well, Mashiach is called a leper. One of the names of Mashiach, Chivra the Bey Rebbe. Mashiach is a Metzaira. Obviously, we have to understand what that means. Not Chas a physical Metzaira. 
But what? But he's afflicted. He suffers. And that affliction and that pain is the affliction of tzaras. So, and therefore when it says, this is the Torah of the Mitzorah, this is the Torah of Moshiach, who is suffering in Golas, in the day that he comes. The day that he comes to redeem the Jewish people, and he takes them out of their tzaras. By the way, when we say Moshiach suffers, the Gemara actually says that when someone asked, where is Moshiach? The guy said, where, where can I find Moshiach? So he said, you should go to Rome, and you'll find him outside the city of Rome. There are the beggars that are sitting, the homeless beggars that are sitting in poverty, in pain, and in suffering. So Mashiach is sitting amongst them. And they're all injured. And Mashiach is injured as well. And if you want to know which one is Mashiach, when you look at one of, at one of those beggars, that he has, he's, he's band, he's, he has his wounds, so many wounds, so he has band-aids on his wounds, gauzes and band-aids on his wounds. And in order to heal, you know, you can't leave band-aids on the whole time. You have to change it, change the band-aid so that you can heal. So, but when he takes his band-aids off, he takes only off one gauze at a time. And then he puts on, and he changes, then he takes another one. The reason why he never removes two of them at the same time is because it's an emergency. You never know when the time, when the Shafir Shemashiach comes. You never know when God is going to call upon him and tell him, now is the time. He doesn't want to have to waste time to be able to put on two band-aids. One of them he needs to do, he has no choice, because he won't endure the suffering. So he needs to remove one, so that he can keep on changing that, that thing. But he never does two at a time, so he shouldn't be caught with a delay when it comes to redeem the Jewish people. Fascinating stuff. But so the Gemara says, so Mashiach is called a Metzair. So then when we think about Tazriah and both names of these parshas are the names of, is both related to the Giyula, to the coming of Mashiach. What are the questions I have today? Questions we have is as follows. Tazriah represents, the translation of the word Tazriah is birth. The birth is the coming of Mashiach. The positive element. Mashiach's arrival is called the birth. The pregnancy is called the pre-Mashiach era, the Gullus. But the birth is Tazriah, is, 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 even though Tazriah can also mean Ishaki Tazriah, actually the Taich of Tazriah means she will conceive. But it's, it's, it's Viyolda, Ishaki Tazriah, Viyolda, and she gives birth. So it's the conception for the birth. So the general energy of the word Tazriah is the energy of redemption. When it comes to the Parshas Metzairah, Metzairah, the, the word Metzairah is affliction. So even if Mashiach is called Metzairah, it's, it's Mashiach is not going to be called Metzairah after he reveals himself to redeem the Jewish people. Mashiach is only called Metzairah in exile, before the redemption, he's called Metzairah. So if so, it seems like, how can we take that these two parshias are, total antith- are, are opposite themes? Yes, they're both referring to Golos and Giyula, to the idea of Giyula, to the idea of Mashiach. But one of them is Mashiach during Golos, the other one is Mashiach being born, meaning being revealed. The Golos is over, the pain is over. How do we take these two opposing ideas of Mashiach and turn them into one parasha? Especially in time, these are two, the time of Golos is a, is, is a time, a period of a few thousand years, I mean, close to 2,000 years, 1940 something years already close to 1950 years already of Golas. And after that is Moshiach's era. It's two separate eras. It's not one parsha. What does it mean? Tazriah Metzairah. And you couldn't have two eras, two times, more different than each other. That's the question. The other question over here is, when we actually take a look at each parsha individually, 
we see that the names of the parsha do not fit the content. And I spoke about this already in an, in an earlier class. Uh, I remember the subtitle, When There's No Pain, uh, There Is No Gain, When There Is No Pain. I remember the name of the shir, but you can look it up in one of the Parshas Tazriyah classes, in which we, dis- we, mamish- we discussed this at length. If you take a look at the content of Parshas Tazriyah, Tazriyah means birth, referring to the birth of Moshiach. But immediately after the first section of the parsha that talks about the laws of childbirth, the Torah goes on to speak all about the laws of tzaras, all about the laws of affliction, of pain, which as we said earlier is the galus. Now parsha's Mitzayra, the name of the parsha is Mitzayra, but the content of the parsha is all about the day the Kohen comes and pronounces the Mitzorah clean, what's the procedure of him getting out of his Tameh, of his tumma, of his defilement, and becoming ritually pure again, becoming getting tahara. In other words, it's the healing and the redemption. It's the coming out of the pain and coming out of the suffering. It's the giyul, it's the redemption. So this thing really, so what, what do we have over here is a tremendous paradox. Parsha's tazriah, where the content of the parsha is the laws of the infection. The entire tazriah, you don't have anything about the healing. Tazriah is all about how, what are the simanim that make the person tummy. It actually does say if it goes away, the person is tar, but it doesn't give you the process of how he heals. Because even if he's tar, he's not healed yet. He needs to first go to the Kohen. The Kohen has to give him a whole procedure. That's not at all discussed in Parshas Tazriah. So Parshas Tazriah is a parsha of Tumas Tzaras. Tumas Tzaras means the defilement of Tzaras, which is Gauls. And what's the name of the parsha? Tazriah, which is all about birth and, 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 um, and, and Giyula, redemption. Mitzorah is the opposite. The name of the parsha is Mitzorah, which is what? Uh, affliction. But the content of the parsha is all about the healing of the tzaras. Parenthetically, um, the, the, this that I mentioned just, that tzaras is associated with the gullus, is not only referring to Moshiach himself, it's referring to the Jewish people also and the Beis Amigdash. Important. The Medrash says in two places, in Eicha Rabbah and also in our parsha, the Medrash tells us that when it speaks about a house that gets a tzaras, it's referring about the temple being destroyed. The tzaras that comes that you have to knock down the house, the destruction of the temple. And then when it says you bring new stones and you re- rebuild it, it's referring to the rebuilding of the third base Samigdash. So that's number one. Also regarding to the, of the human affliction of tzaras, we find in the Medrash, that the Medrash says that the furious types of tzaras that there are, se'es, sapachas, baheres, there are three names for tzaras. And then there is one more, uh, that is maybe it's a nesek, I'm not sure, one more of the Names that, the, uh, that there is for a tzaras, for a form of this skin disease that we're talking about, are four, they are indicative of the four exiles. In the Medrash this week, referring to uh, Edom, Bavel, whatever. So now, so you see clearly that the idea of tzaras is the exile. Why would a parsha that's dealing all about the rectification and the coming out of it be called Mitzayim? That's the question. Now we can take that very same question and take it one step further, not just to the names of the parsha, but also to the name of Mashiach himself. What did we say when they asked, what's Mashiach's name? We say Mashiach is called a Metzairah, that Mashiach is a Metzairah, which doesn't make any sense. The main Indian of Mashiach is not his affliction and not his suffering. The time Mashiach is, is afflicted and suffering, right, is pre-Giyula, it's pre-redemption. It's a preparation. It's to help the Jewish people reach the redemption. Fine. It's to ease their suffering. So he takes the suffering upon himself. 
But Mashiach's main objective, his main job, is this job description, what he needs to do is to be the, the, the Goyel, the Redeemer. When Mashiach will come, he will remove all pain and all suffering. No more pain. No more. Mashiach won't suffer anymore. The Jewish people won't suffer anymore. The Shekhinah will not suffer anymore. There won't be any more suffering in the world. Mashiach is going to wipe away every tear. No more crying. No more pain. No more suffering. No more darkness. There's an end time for darkness. Mashiach comes to bring us brightness, happiness, laughter, joy. That's Mashiach. Why in the world would Mashiach Tzedkenu have a name that, which, which, which a name is his essence, which means suffering. Chivra, that he's called the Metzair. Doesn't make any sense. Because a name should describe your, who you are at your core. And Mashiach at his core is not a sufferer. Mashiach at his core is the Redeemer. To understand all of this, we need to get deeper into the concept of tzaras. And when we get a deeper understanding into tzaras, all this is going to come together in, a, in an amazing way, astonishing way. When we, when we open up the parsha of, of Mitzorah, we find an interesting, an interesting paradox about, the, about the, the, the tzaras, the condition of tzaras. And I do have to say that I'm just going to briefly touch upon concepts that we've discussed in earlier classes, but we've mainly discussed them in two classes that I gave on Saras. One of them is called Snowite, really worth listening to. And another one is called, uh, give me a minute, The Holy Leper. It's these two uh, classes together that discuss this. Again, I'm just going to touch upon these concepts today. Reb Shneir Zalman of Liadi, founder of Hasidus Chabad, and his grandson, the Tzemach Tzedek, and really all the other Chabad Rabbeim, discussed the disease of Saras in great length. And they point out something really, 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 really astonishing about Tsaras, which we wouldn't think of. And that is that the Tsaras is not as negative as we think it is. It's not as dark. It's a dark thing, but it's not, in essence, it's not a dark thing. They point out something really, really, really special. So when you open up the parsha, the beginning of Tsaras, it says, Adam ki Yakriv. I'm sorry, not Adam Yakriv. Adam ki A man, when there is going to have in the flesh, in the skin of his flesh. Nega Tsaras. The question is, why the term Adam? The same question we had in the Mishnah. Our Rebbe says, Why the term Adam? Adam always represents, from the human, in the human, the human species, has four names that they can be referred to. Ish, Enosh, Gever, and Adam. Enosh being the lowest is, is a human being with a lot of weakness a human being that still has a lot of rectification to do. That's called an enosh. Um, then there's gever, ish, and finally, adam. Adam is adam elion. He's compared to the one above. He's the perfect human being. The human being of, of, of like the highest perfection. If that's the case, we're dealing with saras. What's saras? Saras is a, a tummah. A tumma. It's, it's a defilement. It's not just an ordinary defilement. It's the worst defilement possible. We know that someone who has saras has to be kicked out or literally excommunicated in the sense that they're rejected from the Jewish camp, from all three camps, and they have to live in isolation. They're basically sequestered, away from people. And we know Chazal say all kinds of sins, that saras comes about as a result of all these various sins. So obviously a person that gets saras is a rasha, he's a wicked person, he sinned, 
he didn't pick up on the subtle warnings that God has given him, and he's a mitzayra, and that's a, that's a tzaras. So if so, why in the world would we refer to him as Adam? Ish It would make more sense. Why use the most dignified term as Adam, and that's the that's the word we're using for tzaras? Therefore, Reb Shneir Zalman of Liadi says, he says you should know that tzaras did not come for regular people. Tzaras was something a condition. That only he points out another interesting thing. He says, today's days, why does no one get saras? As we said earlier, saras is not a regular skin disease that you might go to your uh, uh, what is it? What is it? Um, what is a skin doctor called? Dermatologist to, to heal. It, it doesn't. It, it's not something that uh, it's nothing to do with, with with that. He says that he brings from the Rambam. Saras is mycenism. It's miraculous. It has nothing to do with a natural disease. And. And he says, the re- and we don't have it today. The reason we don't have it today is, why don't we have it today? So he explains, because we don't have anybody worthy of having a tzaras today. What's tzaras? Tzaras is a skin disease. It's an indication, the physical disease that the person gets in his skin is an indication of a spiritual malady, of a spiritual deficiency. And therefore, a disease, a spiritual disease that this person has, but only in their skin. And what does that mean? It means, see, we're all born with negativity. It's, it's, it's native, it's natural to the human condition after the chayta, the eitzadas. I mean, initially when God created Adam, He created him in His image, there was only purely good. But after Hashem, after Adam and Chava ate from the tree of knowledge, so they, so to speak, polluted their, their species, and therefore all their descendants until the end of days are born with an innate inclination towards evil. And it's a deep innate inclination towards evil. And we have to sort it out. We have to like refine it and get rid of it. And we all get rid of it to a certain degree. We get rid of it. We increase it. We have to fight it and try to purge ourselves from that impurity by battling our Sahara and through all the Torah and mitzvahs that we do, which are all means and advice that the Eberster Hashem has given us with His kindness. Is in some ways we can look at it as medications that can clean and flush out all the Ra that's inside of us to make us good people. And uh, right, so the, the this purification. So most of us achieve some kind of a purification, hopefully some kind of a rectification through our through our uh, struggles in life, and especially through our victories uh, that we have in our uh, triumphs that we have in our life. But really, do we have a person that has gotten rid of all ra from his inside, and there is only only a tiny little bit of something left? on the most external, external, external aspect of his being. That's the concept of tzaras. Now, tzaras can only come to a person that has no more ra. He has purged. He has ejected. He has flushed out all the evil from his inner psyche. That means that uh, that, that there is no, in his pleasure, he has no pleasure in doing anything bad. He has no desire in doing anything bad. We once spoke that pleasure is the deepest innermost of the human. There is no pleasure in chas v'shalom, a sin. There is no desire, because desire comes as a result of pleasure. There is no desire in sin. There is no intellectual um, 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 messiness in his mind. He doesn't have a mess in his mind to have some kind of a, a, a wrong misconception on life and, and have a, an impure ideology. He doesn't have that. He's totally, perfectly... Fu- philosophically and ideologically is perfectly holy and godly. His emotions are also much harder already to clean the emotions. 
This person is clean emotionally. There isn't one iota of an emotion. There's no resentment. There's no anger. There is no, I mean, negative anger. There could be a positive anger. But there's no negative anger. There's no negative resentment. There is no jealousy. There is no negative, uh, unhealthy loves or lusts, and so on and so forth. Pure and clean. Purely pure and clean. Even his thoughts are totally pure. How many, who do we have that? Such a tzaddik who is thoroughly good. What then? Somewhere on the most outer, outer, outer surface of his being, there is some little glitch. There is a little bit ra. Ba'or b'saray, the Alter Rebbe says. The Pasuk says, the Alter Rebbe explains it, Ba'or means in the flesh, in the skin. And the Alter Rebbe says it very briefly, Yopshner Zalman. The Lubavitch Rebbe in his talk, which I'm referring to, actually um, 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 elaborates on it. He says, the bones of a person represent your etzem. And that's why it's called etzem. Etzem means essence. When chas v'shalom, this person doesn't have anything ra in his bones. Even his flesh, which flesh is not your essence, not your skeleton. Flesh is something that you are influenced by the outside because food and drink is what create your flesh. Which means things that, they're not your essence, but they've become stuck onto you, became, it's molded into your character. This person has steered clear. They've remained totally clean. There is no... There is no ra at all in their character. And even things that are from the outside that has gotten stuck on them, even that. Only their skin, skin represents the most external. And even that, the Rebbe says, take a look at the Pasuk. Ki Kiyyeh means it will happen. It's not like it's regular by them that in their speech or in their action, they have a little, they, they did a little, they, they're used to, Constantly, because they're lacking, they're lacking, uh, um, you know, vigilance, and as a result of that, they, they end up doing an avera, you know, frequently in their actions, even though they didn't mean it. You know, they end up they end up saying something hurtful, even though without any negative intent. But that would mean, okay, come on, you're hurting people. They don't do this; it's not common for them. like in Yiddish, you say, "Eshatzich gemacht." You know, something happened. There was a certain moment when they weren't so vigilant, they weren't so, so mind, they were a little bit mindless. And as a result of that, they weren't so, there was a little bit of a moment of a lapse of being completely, you know, um, 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 fully, fully alert to do everything perfect. So in their speech, because we know um, Lashon, um, Lashon Hara is the source of its aras, but it's not malicious Lashon Hara. It's Lashon Hara that comes about as a result, from the outside, not from the inside. A small little something. And even that, the Rebbe adds one more thing. It says, Nega, Nega, he says, is also the word Negia. Negia means it only touched them. That means that even this fluke little action that they did or said that was just a little accident is not something that hit them deep. It became part of them. Even on their skin, they just touched it. They had a brush with Ra. And this is what creates this infection. But it's only an external thing. To understand that a little bit, to give a little bit of something, I'll give you an example to that. You know that sometimes a person breaks out with a rash, and you have to go to a doctor to see what's the reason of the rash. So it depends. If you go to a regular, a traditional doctor, they're going to give you antibiotic and who knows what, and you're going to fight the rash. If you're going to go to a healer, alternative medicine, someone like that, uh, uh, a... from Eastern medication, they're going to start talking to you about the deeper toxins that you might have in your body and so on and so forth and that your body is flushing out certain impurities and this is what's coming out and therefore it's a, whatever, that's the idea of a, you get a rash. You know, what's, 
what's the deer that's, that's inside of you that's not good that's causing the rash? Sometimes it could be a symptom of something really, really dangerous or something really, really bad. But then there's another thing. A person takes a hike, goes somewhere, and brushes against a certain leaf. A poison oak, poison ivy. I had that a couple of years ago. I went hiking. I took a trip on the coast of California, down Pixar. And it was so magnificently beautiful and I couldn't stop stopping the car and jumping out every few minutes and like just going crazy on the scenery. But at a certain point, I saw a path that went down to the beach. So I took the path all the way down, down, down. And I got there at the, the bottom and I'm marveling at, 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 at the beauty and I'm just... But I didn't realize that I, I passed some undergrowth and I just brushed against something and oi vavoi was I have I suffered tremendously. It took a day later or two, I started seeing a rash but then the rash spread and I couldn't wear anything on my arms. Literally, I was like oozing. With, it was horrible. And all because I brushed up against. It wasn't that I was smoking uh, cigarettes. It wasn't that I had uh, eating disorders and so on. Things that I've taken in. It wasn't because of, of, of uh, you know, breathing bad uh, pollution or something. Just a little brush, something externally that only nick- touched me. It touched me on the skin. The oils went on and that spread and it created this disease. So not that nega is a small little thing. Nega turns into a serious infection. But it's infection, it's coming from the outside, it's not coming from the inside, and it's only skin deep. That's what the Alter Rebbe says. That's the significance of a tsaras. Now let's take that. Then he takes it a step further. What's the tsaras itself? He points out one more very important idea. And that is that the tsaras itself, according to this, the tsaras is bad. It's a poison. It's an infection. It's just that the connection to the person is only external. The human being that has the tzaras is a tzaddik who needs to fix something, needs to be more alert in his behavior to God forbid not to have these mindless moments where he does things that are not so perfect on the external. Okay? That's, the, that's what we said till now. But now we add something interesting. He makes another interesting observation. If tzaras is horrible and a very, very, very dark energy, a very dark, ugly uh, 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 toxin, toxic uh, whatever entity, why is it that the person who contacts tzaras is not tummy? Even if they have a full-blown tzaras, and even if they go to the rabbi and the rabbi inspects it, and the rabbi knows the halachis of, of tzaras, very familiar with all the laws of Maimonides, talking about the laws of, because um, there's no Shachanarach on that, so Maimonides, where he has all the Allah's and negatives, he's expert in Tzaraz. He sees perfectly that this is a Tzaraz. The Allah is the man is not tummy. Even though he has all the indication, he has the hair turned white, and, and it's got the size, it's got the, 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 the coloring, the whiteness is sharp enough of white. It's different, uh, 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 there's different uh, gradations of white that has to be, you know, it has to be the white, white. He, everything, this person qualifies. The person is not tummy. Not tummy at all. There isn't the slightest tummy on this person. Until they come to the Kohen. The Kohen has to look at it. And the Kohen says it's tummy, then the person becomes tummy. In other words, the Kohen is the one who pronounces the tumma, the, the defilement. But until that, it doesn't happen. If Tsaras is naturally something really ugly, and the ugliness is on this person, he has an infection. So he's tummy. So therefore, Rabbi Zalman says like this, based on an Arizal, based on Zohar and the like, in which it says as follows, Tsaras in its source is really not bad energy. Taras is actually something extremely holy. It's extremely godly. It's something very, very holy and great. So why is it Taras? Because it's a certain intense energy. 
It's an intense, it's a certain intense It's an intensity, and it can it can cause quite the contrary. He says it's a dvorim gvoyim mioid. It's something very high venalim. And someone that has a, a an encounter with saras is touching something extremely spiritual and godly, something very very high, extreme holiness. If so, why do they become tame? Because it's too intense. It's holiness that's too intense, and because of its intensity, the person is not able to translate that energy and bring it down into their life. So instead, it creates a vacuum. And in that vacuum is where the impure forces can come in. And let's understand this. Again, I'm only briefly explaining this because we discussed it in those other classes. If you take a look, what happens by a tzaraz? there is a certain part of the skin that becomes white. So it was, what does it mean white? Look, the skin, that's the first thing. And in that whiteness, the hair, white hair grow. So what is the d- deeper meaning? When skin becomes white means that there is an absence of blood. The blood left that area. And what does it mean the blood left that area? Oh, now blood is life. Blood is passion and blood is life. So when passion leaves, when blood and passion and energy leaves a certain area, in that emptiness comes the, the negative forces which are represented in those white hairs, forces of evil, bacteria, and they can now find place in that emptiness. Generally, a place that is filled with Jewish energy, with a Yiddish and a Shamba, with Jewish soul, a Jewish body is holy. So the forces of unholiness run away from the Jewish body because they get electrocuted. It's too intense. It's too powerful. There are certain elements, certain things, when there's a certain imbalance in the person that creates some of that holiness to depart, in that vacuum and in that departure, these negative forces can come in. It's like when a person is, goes on vacation and they leave their home empty, um, unwanted guests can come visit their house. So here it is, there's a certain emptiness. But the Rabshner Zalman explains, what's the emptiness? Why is the person empty? You know why the person suddenly became empty? Because they got excited about an otherworldly light. What happened to this individual was that they, because they're so perfect, because they're so holy, merited to glimpse Hashem, to glimpse a very high level of divinity, of godliness. And they got so enamored and so excited and so passionate about that powerful, about that great excite, about that awesome light, and they want to reach for that light, and their soul goes on blaze because they felt the infinite pleasure that that holds in store. Let's remember the word nega, if you rearrange the letters, is the word oneg. They're touching something of extreme oneg, the ultimate pleasure of pleasure, and their souls are reaching for that pleasure. The problem is that they, their souls are ready to depart and dissolve in that light. Like we see last week in the parasha, parasha Shemini, Nadav and Avihu, they allow their souls to expire in their pleasure and their ecstasy of the moment. Saras is a continuation of that kind of, same kind of experience. A person experiences this powerful oineg, their blood rushes up, their excitement rushes towards that thing. But as a result of that, they come, they find, and being that they don't have the vessels to capture that light, or they don't make an effort to create the vessels, to capture that light and bring it down into their ordinary life, find that connection to God in daily living, 
They find it in this runaway experience, in this transcendental experience outside of their of their of their of, of the world, outside of life, in this higher spiritual domain. So what they, they, they become frustrated with ordinary life. In other words, they reject social socializing with people, involvement with people. And but they can't completely disconnect. They're still involved, but they're not so meticulous in making sure that their social life and their involvement with certain people should be done with full concentration, with full mindfulness, to reach out to every person gently, correctly, to speak in a way that's only going to be um, positive and that's only going to enhance people and be productive and the like, because they look at ordinary living and their communication with people and the world as so petty, foolish, and insignificant. Let me give you a perfect example for that. Rebbe, we're coming to Lag Boim, Rebbe Shimon, the famous story, Rebbe Shimon by Yochai, Rebbe Lazar, and his son, when they came out of the cave. You know, they spent 13 years, or 12, first 12 years, you know, in this in cave, <laughs> exploring the divine. And now they're leaving the cave and they're seeing farmers. They're seeing simple people being involved in such stupidity that we know that Reb Shimon and Reb Elaz, they were burning wherever they looked. They couldn't look at it. They didn't, sometimes they didn't want to rectify. They didn't want to work with the world. They didn't want to elevate the world. They didn't want to even educate people. They rejected people. And Hashem chased them back into the cave. That's a similar idea of tsaras. That's a person who's excited about something very up there but is not bringing it down in a civilized way. And, 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 and ultimately, God does not want our souls, to discover Him up there and escape this world. God created the world, as we spoke so many times, because God wants to have a home in this world. So any kind of godliness you discover, anything that's transcendental and holy that your soul is connecting to, it's meant ultimately that that godliness should be brought down and articulated and shared with people and brought into your own life. You should live with it in daily living and you should be able to enhance other people's life all the way out into the street, all the way to the commoner that's in the street, that that person too should have a connection to this idea. Figure it out. Figure out how to communicate something so deep and powerful to ordinary people. But you have to be able to do it. You have to bring it down into constructive living. The negatsara symptom is a person who gets turned on by powerful spirituality, but does not take that next step of bringing down that light. And that's why, by the way, Hasidus says why he has to go meet the Kohen. The problem of Tsaras is intense Gevura. Gevura means, Gevura is, is intensity, is where your energy is like fire. The, the energy is soaring upward. The Kohen is all about channeling. You have to meet a Kohen, and the Kohen is going to rectify, because the Kohen is going to teach you that you need to bring down holy light into the world. That's what Kahanim do. They bless people. They bring down. Their spiritual light of the Kahanim is not left up there in a state of chaos. It's brought down into the, into the, into the, into the containers of time and space. That's our work, to bring things down, down here. That's the secret of Tsaras. Based on this concept, we're going to understand an amazing idea. Why Moshiach it's called Mitzorah. And why, and it's unbelievable. This is just an unbelievable idea. Because when we think about, so, because if you're thinking about what we just said is that the, the reason a person gets Tsaras is not because of something negative. The reason they get Tsaras is because of something super positive that they merited. 
but because they're not, but they're not kicking in and doing what they're supposed to do or bringing it down, as a result of that, something, a good example, by the way, going back to my poison oak that I got, usually I'm watching where I'm walking. Why am I watching where I'm walking? I don't, I, you know, I don't want to get hurt. But when I'm standing and looking at Big Sur scenery, I'm so enamored by the beauty. I remember I looked up in the sky and we saw California condors, the largest bird in the world, flying over, and the coast. And I suddenly had like, my soul is, is expiring in the beauty. But precisely because of that, I wasn't careful where I walked. I didn't watch where my hand is walking. And I touched, uh, I brushed a, 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 a leaf and that gave me the tzaraz. Same idea. It's not malicious. It's a certain, a certain negligence that comes because you, no one is home because you ran away to a better place. And you have your home that you have to take care of. You know, thinking about, I know it's, it's, it's sadly, you know, every, everything in the news, everything you read, everything you hear, is not run of Adis Hashem. I mean, it's, it's maybe the, the, the sad story that happened yesterday with this woman that got sucked out of the plane. And then you saw a picture. I saw a picture. It was a heart-wrenching picture. Her husband and her two children. So here, the, the, she's up 30,000 feet up there. Of course, obviously, it's just a physical dynamic. She's not just she's looking to get out of the window. But you see this idea that a person can be sucked up into an energy, into a powerful energy above the sky. But she's a mother. She has little children. She can't allow herself to be sucked up up there because she needs to come down here. And that's, that's, that's the painful thing. We need to bring in Hashem. It's a tragedy. It's not just a trap. I'm saying, of course, that's a horrible tragedy, but I'm saying in our lives as well. When we get excited about things, and we get super excited, but that excitement takes us out and away from our responsibility to our wife, to our children, to our community, to the people that are dependent on us, because we're gung-ho with some kind of an excitement, that is saras. And then negative things can happen to your children because you're not home. You're not watching. You're not vigilant. But this exactly is the story of Mashiach. This is a story of exile. Negligent, terrible negligence. God is negligent, I'm sorry to say that. He's our father. The Shekhinah is our mother. We're the children. You can't have a mother taking care. A single, a single parent family can be a disaster. Because Papa's not home. What happened to Papa? What happened to Daddy? What happened to our Abba? Where did he go? The most heart-wrenching thing I watched yesterday, I almost, is, the, is the little girl in the Knesset, the, the, the Nebuch, the little girl who lost her father. Oy, if you want to cry, Admasa, you want to cry for Mashiach. She read a letter, this little girl whose, whose father was killed in the, um, you know, when they had the, 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 the family that had the bris, the Shalom Zachar. They were celebrating a new baby that was born, and then the terrorists came in at night and he started killing, and the, the mother and the children ran to hide upstairs, and the father, Nebuch, was confronted the terrorists downstairs, and he was killed. This little girl reads about, about like, what has happened to us without our daddy, without our father. So what happened to the Jewish people? Why are we messed up? Why are we messed up? Why do we have, why do we have all, this, all, this, all this garbage? Why do, why do we make Because we sin. Why are we sinning? We're sinning because Papa's not home. Where's the Ebesh there? So it says during the time of Golos, Rachel mevaka al-banea. Rachel, our mom, is crying. Al-banea, on her children. But why is she crying? She's crying. Ki nu, because he's not here. It doesn't say ki ain't numb. It doesn't say because they're not here. If it means that the children are not here, Rachel is, is crying because her children are not here. But she's not crying because they're not here. She's crying because because he's not here. Who's not here? Her husband is not here. Who's her husband? Her husband is the Abishter. God is not here. What happened to God? You know what happened to God? I'm sorry to say this. He got saras. What does that mean? What does that mean? So in Chassidus it explains that the divine presence that's our mashpia called HaKadosh Baruch Hu, 
That's the divinity, the, the, the godly light that's within, within, within the attributes. The God, it's not Hashem Himself. It's the, the attributes of God called HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When during the time of Golos, they leave. They go, They go up very high. Why do they go up high? Because they're exposed to something very deep and very high. There is something revealed, something of the divine essence that reveals itself, that teases the level of HaKadosh Baruch There is this new light, there is this new godliness, there is this intense, powerful essence of the Eibishter that until now is not experienced. So what happens to HaKadosh Baruch He runs up to receive that new light. But when he goes up to receive light, he leaves a vacuum. And then what happens when there is a vacuum? All the klipas. Bavel, Edom, Amalek, all the Chazerai, all the bacteria, all these horrible forces. Realize Papa's not home, the father is not in the den, the father lion is not home. We can go, Mom is fighting off, but you can't fight off everybody alone. So if you have jackals and, 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 and wolves and, and tigers and everybody coming at the same time, somewhere she's going to sneak in. So that's what happens. So Hasidus explains, here the depth. Golos is not... Something because we sinned, we went to Golos. Golos is a direct result of Mashiach being born. What is Golos? Mashiach's light suddenly entered. There was a sudden flash. We had to pay something dash. And, 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 and Hashem was feeding us his, his illumination, His light. But then there was a flash of a much deeper light. That's Mashiach's neshama. That's why we know that when, 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 when was the base of English destroyed? Mashiach was born right after. But in Hasidus explains the opposite. It's not that once there was a Golos, we need Mashiach. The opposite. Who caused, who caused the Golos to happen? Mashiach said Kainu. Because Mashiach was saying, the relationship is good, but there's something much deeper. We have to move further. We have to go to a much higher place. I want to reveal something greater of my essence. So Hashem flashes that great, that great light. And what happens? Now Kodesh Baruch Hu rises up. We once gave an example. It's like a teacher who's teaching a student. And they're giving a class. And suddenly the teacher has an epiphany of a much deeper concept. And the teacher realizes that they can't continue teaching. And at the same time, go absorb the concept. So what does the teacher do? The teacher has to stop teaching. Because they, they withdraw from their student to receive this. De- and it's not, they don't mean bad. They want Because they want to bring this much deeper insight to their student. When we said it comes in stages, the teacher first stops talking, then they close their eyes, then they put down their head, then maybe the teacher will even pick themselves up and walk out of the room. Maybe the teacher will even lock himself into a room, no one should bother them because they need to conceive this deep, deep idea. It might take them seven years to perceive this idea. Meanwhile, the student is left in the dark. But that's Golos. Golos is, it looks to us like God is angry at us, but he isn't. He's going in to get something deeper, higher. The level of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of course, is going in to get something of the Hashem's essence from a higher place. So it comes out, what's the holding in of Golos? A flash, a powerful light, a powerful illumination, a powerful truth. I don't want to call it light because it's deeper than light. A powerful truth, but it's, it's not yet, it's, it's above, it's not in Kalim, it's not in vessels. That's why it's Saraz. That's why Mashiach is called the Mitzorah. Because Mashiach is that light, which is the whole source of, 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 the, of, the, of, the, of the thing. But now, that's Mashiach. So let's first answer the questions in the parish. But then I'll take you, then we'll take you to something so phenomenal, so phenomenal. Bear with me just a few more minutes. So now we'll understand the concept of Tazriyah Mitzorah. Why Tazriah, which means birth, which is the revelation of Mashiach, and the content of the Parsha is all about, what's the content of the Parsha, Parsha's Tazriah? All about uh, the Nega. 
Because when, when the Torah says a new baby is going to be born, which is Mashiach, there first has to be a conceiving. <laughs> there has to first be a, 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 a something to, to be, give birth to. So true, Tazriah means the, the Yolda, giving birth, the Yolda Zachar, that's the birth of Mashiach. But what is being born? What is being born is the Nega Tzaras. That Oneg, that pleasure, which is, the, which is the source of the Nega, that intense light, that, 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 that itself, that's the Golos. The Golos is Mashiach. What you're experiencing as Golos, in real MS, it's, it's, it's Pneumius, is something fantastically deep and powerful and godly. To the recipient, to us, it's darkness. To us, it's Nega. In its source, it's Oneg. And then vice versa, when you come to Parshas Metzorah, which the content of the Parsha is to heal, which is to, to change the nega. So how do you change the nega? How do you change the exalt? How do you change the exalt? The Rebbe says an amazing chidush. Oh, it's such Torah we've never heard throughout all of history. The Rebbe says, how do you get rid of Golos? How do you get rid of Golos? How do you get rid of the exile? You don't do chemotherapy. You don't blast the gullus with powerful energies to burn it out. You have to reveal what the gullus is. You have to go in, you have to uncover the truth of the exile itself. That the pneumius of the gullus is the geula. That's why he says the word goyla means gullus and geula is the same word. It's just that you have an aleph in geula. You, un, you reveal the aleph in the goyla. To us it means, first of all, to recognize that all the suffering and the pain is really something good. That's Kashem and the fact that Jews remain loyal to God through thick and thin, even though we've suffered. And we complain, and it's okay to complain. But at the same time, we don't use our amuna and we don't walk out. We remain devoted Jews. That means we're accepting it. That itself uncovers the godliness that's in it, but something else. As a result of the godless, what has happened? We Jews went to all the nations and these nations oppress us. These nations are forces that block our connection to God. But a Jew, spoil. a Jew doesn't get moved, doesn't get faced by it. Not only doesn't he allow these dark nations and peoples and, and customs and ways and social pressures to, to affect us and to destroy and to disconnect us from God, but the Jew digs into these very social into these societies, whether it's the people, whether it's their social um, 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 ideas or whatever it is, and utilize these very things for Kedusha. As we once spoke, we spoke many times, Judaism today is very colorful because it has within it certain aspects of ancient Babylonia. It has, we have the Talmud, it's written in Aramaic, which is the Babylonian language. We have in it certain elements of, 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 of Spain. We have a certain flavor. It's the, it's the soul. It's the sparks of holiness in each country that we integrated. These very elements of darkness, we uncover that they too are part of the Mashiach process, part of the Giyula. Jews today have stubbornness that they picked up and they integrate in their Yiddishkeit from the years that they were in Russia amongst the stubborn Russians. Russians. They didn't have punctuality. Some people are punctual, not me, but others are punctual and their punctuality comes, they pick it up from the German punctuality and so on and so forth. All the various different characteristics and traits that the nations possess that we Jews didn't have, we take these powers and turn them around. That means we're making the Geula from the Golos itself. And that's the secret of Parshas Mitzayra. How are you going to be beyond Taharasai? How are you going to be Metahar the Golos, the Mitzayra? How are you? By what? By recognizing the Mitzayra itself. 
by realizing that the healing process comes from within the Makkah, that the Makkah itself is the healing. I just have to redefine it, re, re, reshape it, re, re, uh, what do you call it, re, um, what's a good word? No? Restructure it in our own minds, and then we see the Giyul in it. And eventually, then the Gula becomes real in the world. That's the power. That's the Indian. And now we can also understand why Mashiach is called Mitzrayim. Yeah, because that very redemption that Mashiach is going to be revealed, that's the Tzaras that he had. His Nisham has been excited about it all along, his, that great revelation. But down here it's suffering. And he too suffers along because he's with us. Awesome. This is the situation the entire time of Gullus. The entire time of the Gullus. When we near the end of the exile... And when we come to the actual moments before the redemption, when we come to the time that we're standing right now, now it's on a whole new level. Because you realize, we said before, the, the energy of Mashiach is such an intense energy. It's the infinite essence of God, and which we need to bring down in vessels. How do we bring it down in vessels? We bring it down in vessels through the mitzvahs that we do during the time of exile, through the Mesiris Nefesh that we have, and so on and so forth. But including in that is, through, as we said earlier, we take the Gentile elements of the exile and transform it. We know that the sparks of holiness that we elevate throughout our exile, the Arizal concept of sparks of holiness, these sparks are all related to that infinite Moshiach light. So after we finish collecting all the sparks, now we're completely ready for that great light. Now we've already, we have everything already. So in the year, I think it was in the year 1990 or 1991. I'm not sure exactly when, but at that, at that period of time. An astonishing statement was made by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And um, the world, to me, it's I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Dan. The world is, is numb. Just don't, don't, not been getting it. Not been getting it. Hopefully I can help and spread the word. But the Rebbe then said something, you know, that, you know, there are certain sparks of holiness we have to pick up. And then, and at a certain point, we're done. So the Rebbe said an interesting phenomenon that we've actually finished collecting all the sparks of holiness. The main job the Jewish people have to do in the exile is to lift up the gerim, the converts. We've done it. There's nothing else that needs to be rectified in the exile. Everything has been elevated. Done. Now, if I was to, if, you know, it's something that I can't say, you can't say. Which person in the world? You know a rabbi? You, you can ask your local rav. Who are you going to ask? You're going to go to your Kabbalist? I want to know who's the, your Kabbalist that you can come, that can tell you whether we rectified all the sparks of holiness. The answer is there's no one in the world that I would trust that can tell me something like that. But the Lubavitcher Rebbe I do trust because he took responsibility for the Jewish people, for every single Jew across the world. And he had a special radar in which he can sense a yid in the middle of the boondocks, in the middle of nowhere. There's hundreds of stories in which he sent people to travel to a town with a box of matzah or a mezuzah or whatever, or a kind word to save a, a Jewish a, a, a yid, to give him a matzah, to give him a this, to save him from committing suicide. To so the Rebbe had an unbelievable network on the entire world physically. But the reason why he physically was able to have a network over the whole world, because spiritually his, his power literally encompassed the whole world. And therefore the Rebbe is the one who can make a statement like this. He said, we finished all the Havada. Everything is done. If 
everything is done, he says, the Rebbe said, so now, why is Mashiach not here? The answer is, at this point, the energy of Mashiach is now even more intense than ever before, because we've, and, and it's hovering right above us. Problem is, we need to have the vessels and the containers to translate it down here. We need to bring it down into normative life. As we once spoke, Mashiach is not going to take us all and whisk us to a different planet into a magical kingdom of Disneyland. That's not what Mashiach is doing. Mashiach is transforming the Golostiga dark world into a world of light, of content, of godly meaning, godly revelation. So we need to discover it from within the darkness. So we need to take all this light and, and, and reveal it down in, through what? Through how do we do that? How do we have the containers and the vessels to bring this powerful messianic energy into the world to finally reveal itself? If everything has been done already, what needs to be done? So the Rebbe says, that's the question that Rebbe asks in Pirkei Avis. I have to tell you something. There is, this, this blew my mind like, like I, 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 I'm sorry, you can tell that I'm very excited about this because why shouldn't I be excited about this? I'm sorry. Sometimes I get a little, little too excited. But hear, hear this, like a little Mitzorah symptom. <laughs> but anyways, hear this. Rebbe says, Rebbe, Rebbe. Who's Rebbe? Rebbe's Mashiach. Oh, now this is what I wanted to say. That, you know, and I, I, the, the, the one book that has almost more commentary than anything else is two things Agadushal Pesach and Prikayavas, Ethics of the Fathers. For some reason, people always rabbanim and people needed to say a lot of Torah on this, so they wrote so much commentary. But with all the commentary that there is on Pirkei Avos, and you have amazing Pirushim on the words on the Mishnah, especially the beginning, the first Mishnah is even more commentary because in many shuls, all you get to learn is the first Mishnah every year, right? So you have so many rabbis with so many commentaries, but I do want to say that I don't think anybody, not I don't think, I know for sure that no person ever came up with a Pirush on this Mishnah, similar to the Rebbe's Pirush over here, because this couldn't have been revealed until today, until these days. Rebbe says, he, the Rebbe says like this, Rebbe Oimer, who is Rebbe? He says, Rebbe is what the Gemara, is, is, is Rebbe as Mashiach Tzedkenu. Why? Because how is Mashiach called? We say he's Rebbeinu HaKadosh. But Chazal say, when he's Rebbeinu HaKadosh, what is he called? He's called Chivrasa Debei Rebbe. He's called the Mitzora of Rebbe. So Rebbe, which is Mashiach, at least in his generation, he was Mashiach. And what is he saying? Rebbe Oimer. Rebbe is asking the question. Eizuhu derech Yeshara. What is the correct path? Sheyivar loy ha'adam. Which Adam? Adam is referring to in the end of time when the Jewish people finished. See, we all have individuals. We all exist as individuals. But we also exist as a collective organism, as one entity, as one person. Because we're all part of Adam Arisha. So throughout the generations, we weren't called Adam because we had a lot to rectify. We haven't yet, we haven't yet. But throughout all the history, the combination of all the Jewish people of all the generations and all the mitzvahs and everything that we've done, at this point, we're called already Adam. We're ready for Mashiach. We finished already everything. So that Adam, and the Rebbe says, particularly in our time, when all the work has been done already, there's no more, there's no more regular work of Torah mitzvahs that need to be done in terms of rectifying the sparks of holiness in the exile, because that has been done already. So Rebbe is saying, what is the most correct path? Mashiach is saying to our generation, what's the correct path? You have already Mashiach in the world. As I told you earlier, everywhere you look, every day, there's news and news and news where you see Mashiach is turning over the world. Everything is, but still, it's not here. It's not here, Begashmi. It's, it's not here. We haven't yet all been lifted up and gone to Eretz Yisrael and built the third base on Migdash. 
So Ezo Derech Yishara, what's the correct path? Sheyiv Eloi Ha'odam, the human, me and you, all of us, this generation, what should we do? We we're plotting already, Ad Masai, we can't handle it anymore, but what should we do? And the answer is, Kol Sheyit Teferes Lo Yisera, V'teferes Lo Yimena Odom. Teferes, that's the answer, the answer is Teferes. What did we say before, the dichotomy? Dichotomy is this, this intense energy, that's Gavura, this intense energy that doesn't want to settle in vessels. We want to bring it down into the vessels, which is Chesed. Chesed wants to channel energy down, but it's too intense to channel it down. So we need a synthesizer, something that synthesizes between these two powers. That's the power of Teferis. Teferis, we know, is the center. And it can take, it can mediate between Chesed and Gavura. So it can capture something in its full intensity, but at the same time, channel it down. I'm not going to get into the mechanics of Teferis right now and why it is that way. We can learn other classes and hear about that, but this is the idea. And what's Teferis? Teferis is Torah. Chazal say, L'cha Hashem HaGadula, that's Maise Bereshis. To you, God is greatness, that's Maise Bereshis. HaGavur, I think, is uh, the Yetzias Mitzrayim. I'm not sure, but I think so. Teferis is Matan Torah. Teferis is Matan Torah. is called Teferis. That's why Torah is also called MS. Because MS is Teferis. And what is it? And it's Teferis Lo'isel. It's Teferis to the one who made the Torah. Who made the Torah? That's God. Uteferis Lo'imena Adam. And it's beautiful to man because that's the beauty of Torah. Torah harmonizes God and the world. So what does that mean? Rebbe is saying, not just to learn Torah, if you are right before Mashiach comes and you need to try to anchor and bring Mashiach down here into the world in a way that's fully revealed after everything is done, study Torah, try to capture Mashiach's light through Torah. Okay, well, we've been doing that for thousands of years. No, specifically Learn the Torah of Mashiach. That means study about whatever we know in Torah about Mashiach. Learn what it says in Chumash about Mashiach, what it says in Navi about Mashiach, what it says in Medrash about Mashiach, what it says in Zohar about Mashiach, what it says in Gemara about Mashiach, what it says in Maimonides, very important Maimonides, because that's the only halacha about Mashiach. Learn what it says in Kabbalah about Mashiach. And more than everything, the Rebbe says, learn what it says in Chassidus, because Chassidus is the light of Mashiach, about Mashiach throughout all the generations of Hasidus till the last generation where so much has been spoken about Mashiach. Take all that knowledge, learn it, and soak in it. Soak it up. And what you're basically going to have is you're going to have the ability to articulate these immense ideas in words. The learning of Mashiach itself takes the transcendental power of Mashiach and brings it down into, anchors it, it brings it into the world in a very and explain it in a way that everybody can understand. And if you're not doing that, if we're not doing that, then you know what happens? Our very, very excitement about Moshiach itself could be prolonging the exile. Because let's say I get all gango about Moshiach, I can know Moshiach is coming, I can sense it in the air, my soul senses it, and I'm all excited, boom, boom, you have all the signs and so on and so forth, I'm running around like a madman screaming Moshiach, 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 and I have slogans and I have flags and I have denouncements and this and that, but I don't have a sophisticated, I don't mean vocabulary, but a sophisticated, developed way of taking this wild, crazy ideas and channeling it through words in a, in a cohesive way to bring it down, 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 then I am part of the Tsaras experience. I'm forcing the energy to stay above 
and people don't want and, and, and people are not connecting people don't want are staying away from you why because they see there's a madman I'm, by the way when I learned this I'm taking that up for myself also because I know I get excited about Mashiach and sometimes I'm like who cares what anybody whatever boom, 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 I'm just excited no 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 you got to figure out the words I try to do that we, we, we're having classes classes we had six classes called you know Mashiach decoded we're going to continue with another series of six classes and the like but the Rebbe says the entire generation has to do it. Men, women, and children. It's not a joke. This is not a joke. If Rebbe Oymer, Rebbe is the Nisham of Mashiach, and he is telling the generation, he's telling the world, he's saying, what is the way to do it? You, can, you want to bring me down here? You need to, you need to vesselize me. You need to inkalim me. You need to bring me into Kalim. You can't leave me above or else we have a tzaras and we can't get to the, we can't get, the very Indian itself of Mashiach is, is, is not allowed. That's why it's sad when the Rebbe said this and then as a consequence of that it turns out amongst the Rebbe's Hasidim even two groups. One group that could go, could go very extreme. I'm not Hasashom, I don't want to criticize anybody. This is just for educational purposes. That sometimes goes extreme but is not communicating enough. Needs communication and to talk. Another group that drops Mashiach altogether and says, whatever, it's too, too intense, so what? So what, what do you have then? They have nothing. If we... What are you busy with? You're busy with Torah and mitzvahs. Of, of course, you have to learn Torah and mitzvahs. The Rebbe never said you should stop doing Torah and mitzvahs. But Torah and mitzvahs needs to be done all with a focus on Mashiach Tzadkenu. But if that stops being your energy, so what's your energy? And that leads me to the third, to the last point that I began with the class. And with this I'm concluding, is the, when I asked about our generation, why the children are being turned off by Yiddishkeit. And to me, it's very, very clear. These, the generation today is a new generation these are already post, since the Rebbe said that we finished already the old work, they're already Messianic children. They're already, their Nishamis are craving the light of Mashiach. If we are going to serve them the Golis, Golis Yiddishkeit and not update to Mashiach's version, let's understand something. I don't want anybody to make, to take my words out of context. It's the same Taryag Mitzvahs. It's exactly the same Halachis. You can't change anything. Everything is exactly the same Taryag Halachis and all the Halachis of Tarash and everything but it's with the depth of Mashiach. It's with the inner light of Mashiach. And if you're not giving that, it's not speaking, you're speaking to deaf ears. It's not registering, it's not resonating, because people are not hearing you. The reason they're not hearing you is because not speaking to their souls. It's a lack of connection. Of course, this is a very positive look, but I think this is the truth. And the more we're going to fight technology and make more, it's not going to help. It's not going to help and garnished, because that's not the issue. The issue is kids, young people, need the MS and who's at fault? Those who have the MS and know it but for whatever reason are keeping it a secret and are not and even if they're not keeping it a secret and are very vocal about it but are not explaining it and articulating it and if we haven't found the vessels yet to do so we were given the empowerment to create those vessels and it's all there in the Torah it's just that we have to study it learn it process it and convey it and when we do that we will bring Mashiach for the entire world and that is to conclude I want to say and that's going right back to the beginning of the class when I asked what's the avod of Chodesh Iyar? It shouldn't be a letdown. Iyar is not a letdown. You know what Iyar is? Iyar is taking Nisan and bringing it into vessels. Nisan is gung-ho. Yetzirah Mitzrayim. Blast! Boom! Mashiach! But now we need to bring it into vessels. How do you know Iyar is vessels? First of all, the whole month of Iyar we count the Omer. Every day it's specific counting. We're organizing. Everything is organized. Everything is rectified. But even more than that, I'm just going to quickly say Er is Rosh Tevis Avram Yitzchak Yaakov Rachel, which is the entire Merkava. 
So in Kabbalah it says that the fathers, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, they are the energy. That's the energy. Rachel is Malchus. Chlal, the woman, she's the container. Man and woman is energy in a container. Because like you see, men have great ideas, but women have the ability to implement it because they have the ability to organize it, to bring it into details. So that's the whole structure over here. Chodesh Iyar is to take the Mashiach light of Nisan. So let's not walk away from Nisan. It failed. It didn't fail. It's here. As I said earlier, it's here. Shmini, you saw what happened on Parsha Shmini. It's all here. It's just lacking vessels that our eyes should be able to see it. So let's get to the vessel part. And what are we going to do here? Every day we're going to count. We're going to bring it into containers and into vessels. And that's our avodah. That's the avodah. Teferes loy men adam. Teferes loy Our avodah is today. Everybody, let's get on board. Everybody, let's learn about Mashiach. More and more and more. Let's clarify it. Let's understand it. Let's bring it down. And the more, of course, we'll learn, the more excited we'll get, the more energy we'll have. But this is what's going to change it. This is what's going to transform the world. And this is what's going to rectify and re- I don't want to say Chazashom resurrect because you don't need resurrection, but this is what's going to inspire a generation, and this is what's going to bring about the ultimate perfection of our amazingly beautiful, godly world. May we mer- merit to see all of that now, now, and now. <laughs> Bye.